and let's uh, let's pray for the message this morning. Um, I I would appreciate earnest prayer. Uh, it is uh, it is going to be an interesting day. Uh, Heavenly Father, I I pray that you'd be with with us this morning, with with us as uh, me as I as I bring the word, as I um, preach the message that I feel like you've put in front of me. I pray for your uh, grace. I pray for your mercy. I pray for your wisdom, um, and and that you would just help me to help me to unpack your text, help me to unpack your word, and bring your truth. Help folks to to know you more, not just facts and trivia and a bunch of other stuff, but like like literally just know you, um, know your heart, know your your mind, know your wisdom. Um, I pray that folks would know you through this time. Um, I pray that you would break ground in their hearts uh, and that I would not get in the way of, of what you were doing, but that, that your will and your word would flow out of me uh, despite my sinfulness and weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, if you have a Bible... I do not have hands out, by the way, guys. I uh, was on vacation. This is a message I put together while on vacation, uh, and that's why we need to pray extra hard that this uh, works. <laughs> also, if you, uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, like, like uh, there should be Bibles in all the pews. Uh, the text will be on the screen, but it is good to read the word on the page in front of you. Uh, so let us begin. I uh, have been a uh, Mac owner for like 15 years. Is it about 15 years, dear? Um, and uh, I, I am a huge uh, fan and proselytizer of the Mac faith. Uh, but when I first got an Apple, I encountered a distinct problem that was prominent in the Apple community. I could not play any of my video games. Oh... There's a real problem, right? Like, I, it's heartbreaking. And, and in an effort to overcome this difficulty associated with having a Mac, I got a program uh, called Boot Camp. And what Boot Camp did was you could run it, and it would restart your computer and start it up as a PC. And so with my Mac, I could run Windows or iOS, right, which you can't do with a PC. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, I assume it's because otherwise viruses would be there. Anyway, uh, so, so the neat thing was, though, like if I wanted to do real work, I would use my Apple. If I wanted to screw around and waste time, I'd use my PC. And so I could jump back and forth just by hitting the button and restarting. And then later they came up with another program where you could start the program in your um, like from your desktop on Apple, and it would run Windows as a window inside, you know, on the desktop of your Apple. And you could jump back and forth and all that. I have since given that up because I've decided that um, wasting time uh, with, uh, with PC and, and, and whatnot was not worth the effort, or the time, or the expense. But the reason I'm talking about this is um, it is the first week of the new year, Right? And most of us have already failed at our resolutions, right? I, we've eaten our junk food. We have skipped the gym. We have done all of the other things associated with not following through. Some of us will lie to ourselves for the next month and, you know, try to do things to change. But in the end, we will go back to what we were. And do you know why? 
Because, as Jeremy put it this morning when we discussed the text, no matter where you go, there you are, right? The problem with becoming a new person by just saying, I'm going to do this new stuff, is that you are the same person you were. You're just trying to act different. And the reality is that a PC can try to pretend to be a Mac, but it ain't a Mac. If you don't change the software, if you don't change what is running on the inside at the core of who you are, you will continue to always be the person that you were. Everybody with me? And if we try to be new people starting today, and the thing that we do to be new people is say, I'm going to try really, really, really hard to be a new person, we're still just running the old software. Um, I have a meme I wanted to use. Or, uh, it's actually a demotivational poster. I'm, one of my goals for the year is to work more demotivational posters into the sermons. Um, this is a favorite of mine, dysfunction. Uh, the only constant feature in all of your dissatisfying relationships is you. You ever talk to folks who say, if I just get a new boyfriend, if I just get new friends, if I just move to Florida, by the way, don't move to Florida, if I just get a new car, if I just get a new job, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. If I just lose 20 pounds, I'll be happy. If I just, and you know what the problem is? Same software. I can put my Mac in my office or at my house or in my garage. I can put a PC wherever I want, and it ain't going to change what it is. We're going to be looking at Romans. Everybody loves Romans. Romans 7 and 8, we're going to go fast, 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 okay? Because it is 20 till, a little less than 20 till, and I have a lot of text to cover. Sermon title for today is New Year, Same Old You. Anybody heard that phrase, New Year, New You? There, uh, Jeremy's been joking about that for m- about a month, you know, like, because he preached last week. And I said, well, you got the New Year sermon. And he said, yeah, I'm going to do the New Year, New You. You know, because it's a, it's a prosperity gospel standard, right? But the reality is it is a new year. But when the clock struck midnight, you were still where you were. You were still running the software you run. Nothing changed except the calendar. Right? Am I wrong? Has anybody experienced this? I said I would do better this year. I said I would read more. I said I would watch TV less. I said I would play with my phone less. I said I would stop arguing with my wife. I said we would go on dates. I said we, but I didn't. And it's so easy, right? Um, And so we're going to talk about why that is, because the scriptures throw a huge spotlight on this. And it is a painful and frustrating spotlight, um, because it is us. This is the book of Romans. Uh, And Paul is writing, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, meaning God's law, like the Ten Commandments and all the other rules, like the dietary restrictions and everything else. By the way, the dietary restrictions feels a lot like a New Year thing, right? I will not eat pork rinds. I will not eat candy. Although my wife came home with a huge plate of cookies from New Year's Eve party and a bunch of stuff that I think Anne or... Marla made that I had to try because wasting food is a sin. Now, my old software demanded, but like the dietary laws and all of these things, this is how you become acceptable to God by following these laws. Um, 
that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. This is not a guide point. Do not murder your husbands, Anne. Um, do not use this as a, like, follow the idea here. Do not stop paying attention. By law, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But her hus- if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has uh, sexual relations wa- with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Everybody get this idea? Um, if I die tomorrow, my cell phone contract no longer exists, right? Because I can't get money out of a dead person, right? As long as you are alive, the laws and the contracts you are in apply. The moment you die, they do not. This is also not a guide point for getting out of debt or any other nonsense. Please do not die just in an effort to avoid dealing with your problems. So, my brothers and sisters, you also, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. What the heck is he talking about? What he's saying, and this kind of flashes back earlier in Romans, because this is a whole book. One of the ideas he talks about is when Christ died on the cross, if we belong to him, if we follow him, we are constantly dying to the old version of us. Old Eric is dying. Old Eric is dead. Old Eric was buried with Christ in my baptism. So when I was baptized, one of the symbols associated with baptism is you dunk me underwater and it is like being buried. And when I come out of the water, I am alive as a new creation. It is a symbol of a spiritual reality. Because if I follow Christ, old Eric dies and new Eric is born. And you know what? You don't earn it. Isn't that awesome? I cannot possibly earn being good enough. I cannot be thin enough. I cannot be handsome enough. That's all genetics um, and, you know, candy. Um, I cannot... <laughs> I cannot, you know, stop losing my temper on my own. I cannot try hard enough to be awesome enough for God to say, you rock, you're in. I can't do it. If I throw a rock at one of you, I cannot try hard enough or want it bad enough to make that rock come back to my hand. The moment it's gone, it's gone. Sins committed are committed. Actions I take, the person I am, it is what it is. But in Christ, when I am buried in him, like with him in my baptism, in his death, I am resurrected as a new person. I am made brand spanking new, which is awesome, because about no other thing is going to fix me. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What the heck is he talking about? What he's saying is, now watch this, by dying to what bound me, I'm released. And I am now under the law of the Spirit. I now belong to the Holy Spirit. And there's a line in there, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. If you tell me I cannot eat something, 
My sister, who I love dearly, and I really hope does not watch my sermons, is gluten intolerant. Right? She cannot eat flour. And there is nothing in the world worse than eating pizza in front of her. You know why? Because she tells you. Right? As everybody who doesn't eat gluten tells you. Or everybody who's a vegan tells you. Because they look and they want that pizza so bad. Why? Because you can't have it. Right? Um, It is often the case that things that we cannot have are more desirous to us. Because in our sinful nature, we desire things that are not ours. So if you make a rule for me, I am going to break it. Every teenager in the room who has a phone and rules about when you're allowed to use it, Joshua... How much time do you spend trying to figure out how to use your phone in ways you're not supposed to? Loads. Oh. Right? Because I'm not allowed to. What am I going to do? I'm going to break that rule. Because that is in our DNA. It is in our programming. It is in the basic software language that operates inside us. We cannot get away from it. And so the only way to get away from it is to... Die to it because it is the owner, the slave master, the driver of who we are. And so we have to turn the program off, turn the computer off and restart it as a Mac. Redeemed, holy and good. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that joke. Uh, Did I just do four and six? Yeah, I did. I just duplicated my slide. Sorry. Uh, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. So the law itself, God's law, is not bad. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. By the way, for those of you who don't know what coveting is, right? Coveting is to want something that doesn't belong to you, right? So if I stare at my neighbor's wife, which I would not... But if I stare at my neighbor's wife and I desire, I'd say, you know what? If only my wife was more like her, right? By the way, husbands, don't ever say that to your wife. There's no dumber thing in the world to say, why can't you be more like Jimmy's wife? No, bad, right? That is a death sentence. Um, But that is coveting, to want something that belongs to someone else. But sin, so the law says don't covet, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So when God tells me the law, don't want things that don't belong to you, this operating system inside of me, this program that runs naturally, jumps up and says, did you give us a command? Let's figure out how to break it, right? Let's figure out how to screw this up just for you. By the way, if you wonder why your kids are so difficult, there you are. That is it. Oh, tell me I'm wrong. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Meaning, if there is no rules to break, sin is not alive. Once I was apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Meaning that I was spiritually dead. I was disconnected from God. Those of you who have experienced broken relationships, right? There are people that you are in relationship with who are taken away or dissociated from you. And you are dead to them, essentially, right? When he says, I died, he's talking about our relationship with God. Meaning, he was in relationship with God apart from sin. But the presence of sin separates him from God. And it is for all people. We are all distant from God because 
we sin. Because we offend, because we rebel, because we destroy, because we, like, consume and worship ourselves and things that aren't Him. Um, And so I died. We all died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death, meaning the commandment was supposed to tell me how to be in relationship with God, but instead it killed me, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So to give you a little bit of context, what he's saying here is the law kills me because the law is what my sinful nature engages and rebels against. But we think, well, wait a minute, the law is just rules. No, it is not just rules. It is rules for our relationship with God. The day I got married, which was 100 years ago, or so it seems, um, but it's passed by in a blink of an eye, I made certain agreements with my wife. I stood before God and Honey Baptist Church and um, probably people on the Internet. I don't remember if we did that or not. Um, and I said, I will forsake all others. I will love you. I will not yell at you. I will not throw my socks on the floor. I will not whatever, right? And that is the law between us. There are rules and understandings for relationship. And when I break those laws, right, like my wife agreed to obey, and she never has. <laughs> it's not in a, it wasn't in our marriage vows. I just say it because I know it gets a draw out of her. Like, it damages our relationship. In relation to God, the law is, God says, listen, don't worship other gods. Don't cheat on me, right? When we cheat on God, when we worship anything that isn't God as though it's God, we are like committing infidelity spiritually against God and it destroys our relationship and it kills our connection to God. That is what the law is. It is guidelines for our relationship with God. Like, well, wait a minute. Some of them are about people. I'm not supposed to like hate my neighbor. That's not me and God. But if you hate my kids, we ain't friends. Got it? If you like hate my wife, I'm not going to talk to you. Right? And it ain't okay. If you hate me, I hope, just would be, like, have a problem with you. Um, like, the truth is that the law is our guideline for a relationship with God. And if we fail that, we destroy it. Now, going on. Anybody having fun with this yet? Anybody thinking about your New Year's resolutions? Um, but that which is good then became death to me. Oh, wait a minute. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Meaning, the law was there and sin jumped up and grabbed the wheel, right? I knew this guy in high school. I hated driving with him because he was insane. And every once in a while, because he thought it was funny, he would jump over and grab the steering wheel and turn it and laugh as you blew over a curb and peed in your pants. He was a jerk, right? That's sin. Sin is the jerk that grabs the wheel when you're trying to do the thing you're supposed to do. When you decide, this is what I want to be, or this is what God calls me to be, or this is what I want my relationships to look like, or whatever. Sin grabs the wheel and steers. It grabs 
the wheel. It says, this is the law. Here are the lines on the road. Here are the road signs. Here is everything else. It's time to grab the wheel and turn. And it destroys us. It kills us. It wrecks our relationship. And here's the problem. If you move to Florida, the sin that is a part of you goes with you, right? If you get a new boyfriend or a new husband or a new phone or lose 40 pounds or suddenly become the most attractive person in the world or get a book deal or become rich, win the lottery, etc., 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 you are still you. And sin will always wreck you. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Does anybody ever feel like a slave to your sinful desires? Man, that is right on, right? I preached this text in front of a group of drug addicts. And I'm going to read it to you straight through. Follow me here. And I'll tell you the reaction I got. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, as it, is it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. Mind you, the sin is not a separate entity. I am the sin. No more than the PC's operating system is not Windows, right? You take the operating system out and it's not a PC anymore. It is sin living in me. For I know... That good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature, for I have desire, the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, that's a little confusing. Paul has a habit as a Greek writer of slicing the onion as thin as possible so there's no escape. And there's a lot of repetition in there. You're like, all right, I get it. I don't do the stuff I want to do. But he says it over and over again from every conceivable angle because in me the sin wants to come up and say, but what if I write down my New Year's resolution? What if I, you know... Tell myself really, really loud, I'm not going to yell at my kids anymore for nothing. I am not going to be mean to my wife just because I'm in a bad mood. What if I, and the reality is, there's nothing to be done. Slave is the word. Right? He uses that word. I am a slave. I have no choices. And I'm going to tell you, as a recovering alcoholic, and as a guy who preached this text in front of addicts, they all said, what? Paul was talking about sin and not being able to get over it? not being able to stop, not being able to do something else. And I remember there was this girl, I can't remember her name right off, but I remember her very clearly because she was a huge pain in the neck. She stood up in the middle of my sermon and said, wait a minute, is that in the Bible? Yeah. It says that? Yes. And the truth was she like heard this and it was a mirror. Because... I mean, addiction is like that, right? I don't want to keep doing this, but I keep doing it. And all of sin falls into that category. I don't want to do this. Anybody ever yell at your wife, husbands, this is me talking to you, and you're yelling and you're arguing and you're saying stupid nonsense, and in your head you're thinking, I should shut up now. Right? I should stop talking. The things I am saying are dumb. This is not how I really feel 
but the words keep on coming. And maybe you put a hand through a wall, right? I was complaining about arthritis in my right hand because I broke it once when I was in college because I knew it was a dumb thing to do, but I punched something, not someone. Um, So he keeps going. So I find this law at work, meaning this is the law that works in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, grabbing the wheel and steering. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. For I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law in my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. And read that again. What a wretched man that I am. Right? I, I've talked to guys who sit down in front of their computer and they've got work to do, and five minutes later they're looking at pornography. And they say, I don't really want to do this, but I keep doing it. What a wretched man that I am. People who look around and they see things that are not theirs and they can't help but obsess over it. They have money and they say, this is what God wants me to do with my money. This is how I should handle it. This is good stewardship. And they blow it. What a wretched man that I am. I talk about these silly New Year's resolution nonsense things. I just need to lose 20 pounds. But in reality, that's just a subset of the bigger issues, right? What a wretched what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is the NIV. It is a terrible translation of this phrase because it is so culturally foreign. This is gross. Pay attention. Once upon a time, well before the Roman Empire was a thing, there was an emperor. I do not remember his name because this is off the cuff. Um, And as punishment for his enemies, he would, like if you committed a murder, he would take the body of the person you killed and chain it to you. And anybody who helped you break those chains was subject to death. And you would carry that body of death. It was, a, it was a legend in Roman times because it is so stinking horrible, right? Could you imagine, like, carrying around a dead body with you? Man, I smell bad enough normally, but if I had a dead body attached to me, it would be even worse. But what goes on from there, I have to carry it. I got all that weight on me. And then as the body begins to rot, so do I. And ultimately, what kills you is either the disease that comes from it or your flesh rotting with the dead body. Why am I sharing something so gross? First off, because it's interesting, and I like saying gross stuff. But also because what better illustration is there for the sin that we struggle with? Oh, my gosh, I wish I could stop saying stuff like that. Oh, my gosh, I wish I could stop being so mean. Oh, my gosh, I wish I could stop wasting money and time Oh my gosh, I wish I could stop going to those websites. Oh my gosh, I wish I could stop lying. Oh my gosh, I wish I could stop stealing. Oh my gosh, I wish I could stop lusting after the neighbor. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with you is you're running an operating system that is sin and death. It is tied to you. It is integrated into every part of you. But wait a minute, you said if I follow Jesus, I'm buried and resurrected as a new creation. Paul has this awesome idea. It's called already but not yet. Oh, already but not yet means I am a new creation, but I slowly become that as I slowly kill off this version of Eric. I will eventually be that version of Eric, 
But that version of Eric is going to be the one who's standing in eternity with God. Once the rest of me dies off, catches up with the the spiritually dead part of Eric. And so thanks be to God. And by the way, it is easy to lose the weight of that. I have a dead body strapped to my back. I am a wretched man who will save me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, let me explain that. When Jesus was crucified, he was nailed to the cross. What happened there was he was nailed to the cross and he took on our sin. He had every one of our dead bodies, body of death tied to him. And God poured out his wrath onto him in your place. Because you're awesome? No. Because you deserve it? No. Because you are the right guy running the right operating system? No but because he loves you that much. Which, by the way, is why like, I need to lose weight because I need to not die of a heart attack. Right? In reality, me losing weight and people loving me more because I'm good looking or whatever, which again is a pipe dream. But like, if I were to do that, people would love me, but they would love me for something I did. God loves me no matter what. God loves me when I was the worst version of Eric I could possibly be. Oh, well, not squishy feeling love, but love, I will take your sin on my back and have, like, like, be destroyed on your behalf. Oftentimes we get caught up in the nonsense of the world around us and we chase after things that will not make us happy, will not make us fulfilled, will not make us better. And 90% of New Year's resolutions are that, aren't they? I will be a better me today in this world. And in reality, the better me needs to be a new operating system. I just shut off the computer and restart it as a Mac. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin, meaning there will constantly be a fight in me. And so if I stop right here, this is the most depressing sermon ever. You're all going to sin. Go forth and sin boldly, as a priest said to Martin Luther once. No, because we go to the next chapter. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, meaning he was sacrificed for us. He was put as one of us. He took on flesh. He became a baby. He had his diapers changed. We just celebrated this at Christmas. Remember that? And then he was killed on our behalf. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That is a mouthful. Watch this. The flesh in me, my sinful self, it is put away. It is buried. It is gone. In my baptism, in the resurrection of Christ, I am made brand new. And that awful stuff that is Eric is gone. Right? Gone, gone, gone. And that's awesome. It's still hanging out. The smell of it is still in the air. But I do not have to worry that I will go to hell because I sin. I do not have to back up and say, I am condemned. God hates me. Because I'm forgiven. 
I am made new. I may struggle. I may wrestle. I may fall. I may stumble. What's the line, Jeremy? Six times I fall, seven I get up. It's your Proverbs. Did I actually get it right? Yeah, it's from Proverbs, right? I fall, I fall, I fall. The thing is, when a dead body falls, it doesn't get back up. When a sinful man falls, falls. But what gets up is the Spirit in me. I am under the law of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit fills me and makes me desire to be in relationship with Him. I remember when I, again, I talk about my marriage a lot because to me, analogy is powerful. I talk about my my wife and I say, you know, there was a time when I was a disaster and God fixed me. And since then, one of the things I tell myself over and over again is I have to be a better man because I love my wife. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love God. And that's really why I have to be a better man, but I owe her. I owe my kids and I've got to be like Christ for them. And my desire to be better is driven by that love. My, the Holy Spirit in me has made me alive, and I desire to be close to him because of what he has done for me. I will do anything for the one who was punished in my place. That is living according to the Spirit. Mind you, now watch this, it is not our effort. So you can try real hard not to sin tomorrow, but you will. Watch this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires, on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Mind you, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. You, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if it does not have, or if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But in, if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have no obligation. We have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if... By the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So that last sentence there is what I was driving after. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Um, Well, how do I do that? I am here to tell you, I used to know believers who would uh, have swear jars. Anybody ever do that? I need to stop cussing. I need to stop taking the Lord's name in vain. I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing that. So every time I do it, I'm going to put a dollar in. Um, and of course the problem with that is, is that is law. That swear jar becomes an impetus, a driver for you swearing or finding ways to swear that get you around putting dollars in the jar, right? How do I stop swearing then? How do I stop lusting? How do I stop looking at pornography? How do I stop doing these things? I live in the spirit. I walk in the spirit. I fill myself with the spirit. I surround myself with other believers who are also there And I lean on them. 
and I consume what they have for me, and I, I walk with them, and like we fail together. And there's an amazing thing about failing together is that it helps you do better. There's a line in Psalm 119. I thought I'd be able to just pull it out off the cuff, but I cannot. Um, Years ago when I was dating my wife, there was a certain struggle that was associated with dating my wife because she was and is quite attractive, and I was a lot younger, and there were certain interests that I had that maybe were supposed to wait for marriage. Everybody with me? Except the little kids, I hope. I'm trying to be (laughs) right there. There was a line I found in, in Psalm 119, if I'm not mistaken. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And he goes on and he says, listen, I, by living according to your word, I delight in your law. I consume it. I look at it day and night. I fill myself up with it. I chase after it. I am like overwhelmed by your law, by your word, by who you are. I read that and I saw law. I said, well, I just have to live according to his word better. You know what? It didn't work. I did cross the finish line. Um, But there's a flesh in me, a sinful part of me that's like, I want to do these things. And what he's talking about is he is talking about consuming the word. I discovered recently, and it's the first time I ever really noticed this. I've been a Christian 30 years, and I never noticed. If I get up in the morning, and I spend my first hour reading the Word and talking to God, and then I throw a little time in in the afternoon, and sometimes I go for a walk after I get done with my major work for the day, and I spend some time talking to God, um, I don't get mad as much. Isn't that weird? It is weird that if I sit and just have a conversation with God and meditate and consume the Word in the morning... I have no desire to do certain things. You know why? Because the Spirit is in me. I have to go back to that well and drink it every day. Is it easy? Absolutely not. It should be the easiest thing in the world, but it's not. Right? All I got to do is not do these things and do these things. It should be easy, but it's not. Because the flesh in me is always going to wrestle against it. The sin in me is always going to pull in the other direction. But if I go over and over and over again to God, if I go over and over and over again to my brothers and sisters, and I say, guys, I'm screwing up. Guys, I'm struggling in this way. Guys, this is my failure. And they say, you know what, Eric, I got the same failure. By the way, I'm always open to having that conversation with anyone, right? I will never judge you because I'm worse than you, which is awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Over and over again, I come back to this, and it fills me up. And the more I fill it up, the more I breathe in the Spirit, the more alive I am. I have a can of pure oxygen in my pantry. When I go running in cold weather, I get asthma attacks, and I have to breathe pure oxygen, and it helps me kind of get not unconscious. Um, This is the spirit, right? Breathing pure oxygen is talking to God. It is singing. Do you all ever have a song that's played on Sunday morning and it just cuts you right to the core? That is breathing. That is spiritual life and breath. Anybody have a brother or sister that you get together with and you talk to them and you are just driven to be better and more like Christ because they are that guy. Brooke Anderson was that guy for me for a long time. There are a bunch of people like that in this room. I'm not going to mention you, but I would spend time with Brooke and I would say, I want to be like that guy. 
And actually, sometimes I make decisions by saying, well, what would Brooke do in this situation? But I'm supposed to say, what would Jesus do? Yeah, but Jesus is really hard to follow. Brooke is easier. <laughs> but Brooke is like Jesus. Everybody with me? My challenge for you in this new year is to look at the list of things you said you were going to accomplish and ask yourself, is this going to play into my eternity? If I get this, am I going to be like Jesus? Am I going to be more alive in the spirit? Or am I going to be a prettier corpse? Am I going to be a more successful and wealthy corpse? Because life in Christ should be the only thing we're chasing after, folks. Otherwise, you're just putting, again, lipstick on a corpse. Come talk to me. I'll challenge you and I'll ask you hard questions. I will push you if you're willing to do the same for me. Right? Talk to your brothers and sisters in the room. Talk to Jeremy. I've watched him grow so much in the last few years. Um, There are people all around you who will walk with you in this. Daniel is another one. Um, And help you be alive in Christ. It's not a habit. It's not a new hobby. It's not a thing you do. It is a new operating system. And if you don't load it up, it won't work. And sometimes it's a little like just music playing in the back of your head, right? (laughs) It's not obvious. It's not overt. But it's there. And you're thinking, what is that tune? (laughs) That tune is the Spirit of God singing in my heart and soul. Figuratively. (laughs) It is Communion Sunday. I know I'm long. I started late. I don't care. 